Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Uh, we are doing some different things today. And first of all, we have a soundboard. And second of all, I screwed up my lighting for my new video area. So I'm like half enshrouded in darkness. And I think it's really cool. And I am now the Phantom of the Blood God. Oh, the Phantom <laughs> of the Blood God. I would go and watch that on Broadway. That'd be a lot of fun. I've seen Phantom like three times in the theater, so I'm kind of ridiculous. Oh, yeah, me right. too. I, I saw it oh, really? I saw it actually on Broadway. It was a lot of fun. It's a great show. Oh, like actually, because I saw the Canadian version, which is like, you know, <laughs> still pretty cool, but it's a little bit slightly different, slightly different songs, like in terms of uh, basically I prefer the Canadian soundtrack because that's what I grew up with. But we've got to have a theater, uh, a theater show. We've got to talk about this show sometime, Kat. Also joining me is Eric Van Allen. I am significantly less cultured. I, I I can only count like maybe five shows I've seen on a single hand. I did see Rents when they were touring. Oh, I've seen, I've seen Rent, Rent twice for some reason. With some of the original cast members, and that was pretty cool. Oh, that's pretty cool, yeah. yeah. I saw Lion King before it went to Broadway. How did you do that? Did you just really pull I saw Lion King before it was cool? That's yes. no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can't pull that it's because <laughs> minneapolis always used to get the broadway before it would hit broadway they would basically be testing it out in minnesota so because minneapolis oh. has a good theater scene this is your obligatory uh instance of me talking up minnesota but in this episode of axis of blood god we're going to be talking about a few different topics of course we're going to have nadia's nostalgia nook and the untitled eric segment but we're also going to be talking about what is the right length for an RPG. We're going to talk about the 13 minutes of Pokemon Legends Arceus that we got to see. We're going to add to the top 25 RPG remake 2022. Whew, that's a hard thing. <laughs> there to you say. go. <laughs> yes, we're going to add to the nomination list for that. And we are going to uh, do our random encounters and all of that good stuff. Another wonderful episode for 2022. Um, in the meantime, if you enjoy the show, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Please leave a review on the podcatcher of your choice. It brightens your our day, and it also helps the visibility of the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, and Eric is at C Moosey, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. And you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where we recently added the Stars of Destiny tier. And we have a lot of them here tonight listening to us live as we record. Thank you so much to Abby of the Moon and Amrick and the Zixa and Brian C. Nerd and Darren Deer and Drew Dar WX, Dr. Horror and Eric with AK, Gamer S, Cal L, Not Hollow, Ruka the Carpenter, and Spyrus. We love having you on the show. And also, we really, really appreciate your contributions, your very, very generous contributions that help this show keep going. Finally, we released a special on Wednesday for our patrons. It's our Game Developer Quest, a brand new segment. And this one is focusing on From Software. And we had a really good conversation about that, didn't we? We did. Uh, From Software's uh, pre-Soulsborne era was really, really active. And not always with the best games, but certainly with some of the most original games you could possibly think of. Yeah, like stuff that was all over the place. Like I, I went real deep on Echo Knight because I just couldn't believe that they made a seventh guest game and <laughs> just had to know. 
Uh, and then stuff like honestly, Enchanted Arms is sitting there now on my maybe I need to play this backlog because it seems like my kind of weird tactics game and I'm just hungry for something right now. So who knows? But FromSoft has got a history, you know, a lot of history outside Souls, and it was fun going back through all of that. I also want to shout out Criminal Justice for their help with me on Bloodborne. They got me past the Blood Starved Beast. And it was basically me being uh, the child in The Mandalorian <laughs> right next to uh, The Mandalorian as they're shooting. And I'm going, ha yes, yes. So it's just melding the sicko meme in there as well. But yes, thank you, Criminal Justice, for helping me get past that very difficult boss. That is what a soul's like is all about. Friendship. All right. Let's talk about what we've been playing, our sacrifice to the blood god. And I'll, I'll start this week. I've been playing Monster Hunter World with my friends. We got back into it. I never did get all the way through Iceborne. I got most of the way through it. So this was kind of my opportunity to pick it up again. And I got to say, the compare and contrast with Monster Hunter Rise really is something. Rise just came out on PC. It's running at 60 FPS. And uh, by all accounts, it makes a big difference there. It definitely makes a huge difference in Iceborne. I cannot imagine playing Monster Hunter in 30 mm-hmm. FPS, seriously. And also, Iceborne is just gorgeous, y'all. It is absolutely beautiful on PC. If you haven't really had an opportunity to sit down and play it, I strongly recommend it because I'm reminded all over again why I got into Monster Hunter World. How does it compare to uh, Rise, like in terms of your muscle memory? Does it is it what feels more fun to play? Definitely Iceborne, yeah, because mm-hmm. uh, there's a real uh, it just feels smoother, right? And I think that a lot of right. that is due to the frame rate. But you know, I'm playing as a great sword in Monster Hunter World Iceborne. And I remember struggling a bit with it in Rise, and the cadence of the fights just kind of make more sense to me. I think right. in Iceborne. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, I really like things like uh, the Clutch Claw. The Clutch Claw is very overpowered, oh, honestly, <laughs> but it's so also good. fun to use because you can like grapple onto a, a monster, ride with it. I like that it has way more in the way of the monster turf wars, which are really mm-hmm. cool yeah. to watch. Mm-hmm. And as cool as it is to ride a monster in Rise, it's also, I don't know. Um, I think that Iceborne is a bit more balanced in that regard. Mm-hmm. So, mm. Yeah. Uh, and plus, I like the handler. I miss the handler in Rise. The handler is so cute. So yeah. <laughs> You have the twins in Rise. Like, that's the you trade-off you make. But they don't come you get with you. twice as much. And they have that's no personality. That's, handler, that's also very The fair. handler is funny. No one in Monster Hunter has personality. Their personality <laughs> is we hunt monsters. <laughs> Palicos have one personality, and it's adorable. Eric, what are you playing? I, I uh, think I can guess. I yeah, I've also been shipping off to a snowy world with uh, Final Fantasy fourteen Heaven's Word. I am yes. What I'm going to estimate is getting close to like a third to a half of the way through the main story quest at this point. Um, I I'm trying to negotiate peace. Let's let's put it that way in like a vague way. Um, I think I know what you're trying to do. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm very interested. I was telling someone that it's interesting playing this 
as a dragoon because apparently everyone else who came into this expansion pack was thought Estinian was just the bee's knees. And I'm like, this is the nerd I beat up to get my armor <laughs> for for my job quest. Like I dunked this dude. <laughs> he wants Estinian to call himself has a, Azure he has dragoon. A glow up. He has a glow up, especially I, by Ann Walker. Maybe he he thinks he's cool. This dude thinks he's cool. All right. That's all I got to say is I kicked his butt once before. I'll do it again, too. I'm I'm the real dragoon. Have all you right. have you met the uh, well, no, no. The real dragoon is on the I think in Western Kurthas. He is the fate. That is the the dragoon. Uh, I can't remember his first name, but his, his title is of the spiked butt. And he's oh. really angry. <laughs> and he you can fight him one on one. Everyone laughs at him. He doesn't understand why, because he, well, his, his last name is, is kind of the indication there. But when he fights you, everything he says is like a double entendre about jizz and dicks. And it's actually hilarious. <laughs> okay. I like and this. And it's a really good fight, actually. He's I really like tough. this, dude. <laughs> uh, but obviously, I'm still on free trial at the moment. So that means waiting in queues or just waiting for people to log off so I can actually get into a queue. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I went looking for another game to pass the time, and I found a little game on Steam called Vampire Survivors that is maybe best described as an arcade-style top-down not-shoot-em-up mixed uh-huh. with a roguelite, where you basically... It, it is the most like borderline ripping sprites from Castlevania game I've ever seen, <laughs> where you play as those. a character like, you know like your typical Trevor Belmont, you have like a Belmont and a Sifa and, and an Alucard type character and monsters encroach from every corner of the screen. And you have weapons like the whip or the magic wand or the fire wand or the Bible and stuff like that. And they auto fire around you. And so all you do is move around with WASD and then pick up the gems that drop from creatures when they die to gain experience. And when you level up, you get kind of a slay the spire thing where it's here's three different upgrade options. Uh, it is $3 is early access and it is so fun. It is ridiculously fun. If you just look at screenshots of this thing, it is hordes, hordes of just skeletons and zombies and bats all encroaching on you. And then just this Bible comes flying out and orbiting (laughs) around you and just wiping them all out. If you like that feeling of like watching big floods of enemies just get whittled down really fast and seeing numbers go up. Oh, this hits that part of the brain right there. (laughs) That feel that I I love that feeling. That actually sounds really funny though. Just did somebody say numbers go up? Because I'm here comes cat. Numbers do go up. There's a big bar right at the top of the screen. That's your experience bar. And when it goes up, it's like, yeah, and like gems (laughs) fly out everywhere and you level up and then you get to pick your uh, your upgrade and all that. It's really like like again to set expectations is an early access game is three dollars. I think the dev just kind of made it on a lark. And then uh, (laughs) I just want a shitload of skeletons to die. But it's been gaining some, you know, steady popularity from folks like me who are like, I need something to play while I'm waiting in 14Q. And it really just scratches a good itch. So I'm not saying this is the next loop hero or anything like that. Uh, The updates have been pretty frequent and that's been pretty nice. And it seems like there's some desire to support the game, balance it a bit, uh, add more characters. There's already a ton of characters who all have different starting items and kind of passive traits uh, that you get as you go on. But it's it's just a good time. Like I'm reminded of the game uh, for those of you who were playing Xbox Live games back in the day. 
<laughs> way back in yeah. the day. Uh, uh, I made a game with zombies in it. Uh, oh, right. It, oh, yeah. it, it was it was like a dollar and it ended up being one of the most fun top down shooters I've played in ages. And it was just a fun thing that somebody slapped together. It, They're a it's relatively got that energy. famous indie developer. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, Ska, Ska Studios, I think, who have gone on to <laughs> do Studios, Salt and I Sanctuary, that. I think, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah that sounds about um, right, yeah. But it's uh, it's got that kind of early XBL, IG energy to it that it's just real fun and is definitely worth, you know, if anything I said, like sparks joy for you, it's three bucks, like it's nothing. And uh, you'll get at least a couple hours out of it. And it makes queue waiting time so much easier. Nadia, what are you playing right now? Well, I'm always dicking around in Final Fantasy 14. I'm trying yeah. to get enough of the newest sort of uh, tombstones are called so I can get the Final Fantasy 4 glamour. Because I want everyone in my every job I have, I want to have that Final Fantasy IV glamour. Like mm-hmm. I gotta look like Cecil. I already look like Kane. I'm working on mm-hmm. Edge. This is the good shit, people. This is what makes me. This mm-hmm. is what drives me. Gets me out of the bed. Got to make my Final mm-hmm. Fantasy fourteen characters like Final Fantasy IV characters. That's how it's got to be. But aside from that, I actually started Bloodborne, and I haven't gotten far, but I'm actually enjoying it uh, uh, probably more than I enjoyed Dark Souls. I just feel like it's a just a more a faster, more exciting game. Is you still have that sort of uh, methodic fighting that you have to do. Of course, I haven't gotten my ass truly kicked yet. I'm sure that'll happen, and I'll change my tune. But I feel like it's the combat is a little more flowing and loose and fun than Dark Souls. But it, that's probably the kind of uh, opinion that gets you killed on the internet. So I probably shouldn't say No, I don't think that. so. I think there that's a, okay. a pretty that, common yeah. opinion, actually. <laughs> Oh, good, good. Yeah, so I remember you told me a long time ago, Kat, you probably, that I would probably enjoy uh, Dark uh, Bloodborne more than Dark Souls. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I like Dark Souls. I just found it a bit, uh, it was missing something, too, a little it's too more, slow. It's more you. It has werewolves in it. Mm-hmm. It has a shit. Mm-hmm. I, I got my first thing that happened was I got my dick chewed off by a werewolf. It was great. <laughs> I made a character. That's how the game goes. <laughs> I made a character, and I'm like, okay, uh, this is good. Then I, I squint, and I'm like, I just made Dunban from... Uh, <laughs> I'm Xenoblade Chronicles. <laughs> so my hunter is named Dunban. <laughs> this is also, the power of the little... Monado. This is the power of the Monado. Oh, shit. I'm dead Just again. Just saying they're pumping your switch axe. This is the power <laughs> of the Monado. <laughs> and I, I got to have a final attack with like Sakura stuff flying around and everything like that. But no, I'm, he, my hunter doesn't have anything like that. So I, I'm kind of doing all that. And also I'm picked up Dragon Quest uh 11s again uh thank you cat for for getting me back into that mm, i thought you finished that one did you pick start playing again i finished the vanilla dragon quest 11 and dragon quest 11s adds a whole bunch of stuff like i remember really liking the retro style little adventures they had and i wanted to get finished those too because they all each one relates back to an event in a dragon quest game so i, I was really enjoying those all right that is what we are playing right now. Let's continue on to our first conversation topic. Yes, Pokemon Legends Arceus is coming out in just a couple weeks. Actually, I think it's technically Arceus. Apparently they changed it because Arceus is a little too close to Arce. So Pokemon (laughs) Legends Arceus, I apologize. And I'm wondering, how are we feeling about Pokemon Legends Arceus right now? 
I'm feeling good. I think I don't think it's going to be like, holy crap, my number one game of the year. But it looks like it's going to be a good fun time. And as someone who, again, enjoyed uh, new Pokemon Snap very much, I think I'm, I'm going to dig whatever this is dishing out. Are you more excited or less excited after watching this trailer is what I should ask. About the same, really. I kind of know mm-hmm. what to expect from it. The only real big downside I see people bring up, and they're actually right about this, is that what are we going to do in the world besides catch Pokemon and collect resources? Like, is it, you know, is it kind of like Breath of the Wild, which really gives you a really, beside, you know, despite the fact that it's kind of empty, something's really compelling about it. I, I don't know what the open world's going to be like, so I'm, I'm curious about that. So I'm glad you brought up new Pokemon Snap because I think one of the things that they mentioned in the Arceus trailer that they're doing for this one is really, really cool and something I've wanted them to do for a while in most Pokemon games that aren't Pokemon Snap, which is they they talk about for the Pokedex, you have to kind of like observe Pokemon and right. see how they interact in their environment and learn information about them. And I think that's really, really cool because for a long time, like, catching a Pokemon kind of felt like the end all be all of your interaction with that Pokemon. And the thing I like about Pokemon snap is that the levels evolve over time, the way you can interact with the Pokemon evolves over time. And you really get to feel like you see how those Pokemon live in the world. And it feels more like you're researching something and you're not just building up this weird, creepy collection of Pokemon (laughs) all stored (laughs) in a computer. Uh, I like that aspect a lot, and that got me really, really excited. Weird, creepy collection of Pokemon all stored in a computer. That's what Digital it is. Digital menagerie. You just got a bunch of JPEGs of Pokemon in your computer, basically. Bill's PC was the first so NFT. Pokemon NFTs. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was the first crypto farm. You heard it here, folks. Yeah, yeah Bill's PC was the first crypto farm. <laughs> I, on a side note, I have to admire the Pokemon company's restraint in not going full NFT with all of the Pokemon, because you know all the collectors out there would do it they would totally be into it unique shinies or something like yeah, that like variant horrible. colors yeah that would oh be God, one of I the just seals that gets in. unsealed at the apocalypse <laughs> that would just be pokemon nfts beside in between like war and plague yeah. along with the bel-air reboot Ugh, jesus <sighs> i put that out of my mind thank you for that yeah the the one thing from this trailer that did i mean it's been a concern since i first saw the game and it's still a concern now is i'm just looking at it and going when are they going to like upgrade engines over here? Because it's, it's not like it looks bad. It just, there are parts of that open world specifically that could look better. And especially now that they're going full on monster hunter, I think of what rise looked like on the switch and how that engine worked so well on the switch. And it's, it's making me wish that it just had, you know, closer to that level of, of things going on. The world just, kind of seems a little sparse to be honest like there's like i can count the trees on the screen and all that and i'm not looking for like a dense forest but it's it's just i i want just a little bit more life if you're going to go for this you're in a big open area with all this stuff going on and right now it's just not giving that to me and i feel like putting it up against something like breath of the wild wouldn't do it any favors either so no no definitely it feels like an experimental spinoff so i imagine I, I'm curious what the actual budget is because I don't yeah. know if they want to sink too much into it as opposed to Breath of the Wild being a mainline entry, as it were. It's look been at in development graphics. forever. Look at the graphics. It's not, you know, super impressive or anything, but I think that the art style is rather nice. Oh, and for yeah, sure. It's pleasant yeah, to look yeah, at. Definitely. It's got a great style. I just want like 
more of it if that makes sense and and something about the trees still just doesn't like like there's just the something about the trees fun. that Everyone's just looks obsessing a little weird about trees are we having trees no, i'm not the one being like it's a low res tree it's it's different than that there's like something alien about the trees to me and i don't know what <laughs> it is and i haven't like pinned it down yet <laughs> yeah trees are alien. it's and you know we're not starting Puddlegate discourse or anything this is yeah yeah maybe that's the case Maybe all the trees are alive. That's been the secret all along. And Bidoof oh, is here to save us from the, the tree <laughs> uprising. Uh, but other than that, like, I it, it does make me think like, well, you know, Switch Pro would run this great. But that's <laughs> the thing. Yeah. I wonder if they were designing it with Switch Pro in mind. And if Very Switch likely. Pro comes out, it will run a lot better on it. It's that, that big brain, that galaxy take. <laughs> the big brain galaxy take indeed well let's turn to the comments really quickly azixo says i think i finally hit my pokemon limit and burnt out we'll hold off to see how well the game does you know azixo i'm kind of in the same boat honestly i really enjoyed sword and shield but i took my time with it but for the most part i feel a little lost with pokemon and i think a lot of it is due to the lack of single player content the good news is Pokemon Legends Arceus is a very different from your mainline Pokemon game, and it feels a lot more single player friendly. So yeah, I'm looking definitely. forward to it. Also, all the Pokemon want to murder me in this game. So it's, yeah. it's a little bit of a different flavor, I think. I like that part. Me too. I, I think a Pokemon designed the game. I think a Pokemon sat down and was like, you get your ass kicked by Ursa Ring for a little no, bit. I'm going to you catch like you. It. I'm going to catch the trainer. <laughs> yeah. in the Pokemon universe. Who's, who's Jigsaw in the Pokemon Ursa universe? Ring, Ursa Ring trains you. <laughs> <laughs> and Abby of the Moon said, I miss the window for getting into Pokemon, much like Harry Potter. Well, you don't mm. have to get into Harry Potter. It's not cool anymore. But Pokemon, you could totally get into it still. There's still time. Each one is basically hitting the reboot switch. And they get more sophisticated with each new entry. And I agree that it's basically just a JRPG with hundreds upon hundreds of recru recruitable party members. Imagine and sweep it in by a factor of nine. We should have a Pokemon game where six Pokemon can attack at once. That mm. would be amazing. If you land just, the elemental weaknesses, it's like you get I send to do out my Pokemon. Well, I send out my entire party. You can't do that. Try and stop me. You see oh, around. You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like my idea of Pokemon basically being Westworld for kids, where mm. it is. kids go in and they get to go on their adventure, and you know, adult robots are going, "Yeah, we are. We're having a fight." Right now. Oh, you killed me. Oh, I'm dead. Oh, no, you got <laughs> no. me. It's, it explains why they're, the trainers are always staying in one place and they don't ever move. And it also explains oh, I, I why figured... Team Rocket doesn't just pick up, you know, a bratty little 10-year-old and just put them into a room and they can't stop it. Boy, that was weird. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> that just trailed off. Uh, that, I'm sorry. You just kind of trailed off there. That... Oh, oh no. <laughs> I I want the Yakuza like a dragon of these games. I've said this before, but like I want the version of some like going nowhere, like late 30s, like, you know, used to be a trainer years ago. And now he's just walking to his day job and he's getting annoyed at all these kids running around like, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to compete. And he's just like smoking a cigarette with his like cynical Charmander next to him. Like, yeah, kid, I think you'll be the best. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Oh. And you can That's go to the, the job center and you're like, well, you can be a trainer or you can be a chef or you can be, mm-hmm. um, you can ride a bike. Oh, no. Job <laughs> placement for all the uh, the washout kids after they're done going yeah. through the gyms and stuff. And they're like, okay, so what applicable skills do you have? Can we recommend God, that's some Hunger Games shit? <laughs> yeah. Well, a couple of things I want to highlight really quickly from the, tra- the trailer that before we move on, uh, the crafting looks quite deep in this one Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and another and i really like how you interact with the pokemon individually it feels like you have to put a lot of thought into how you approach individual monsters and in that regard pokemon legends arceus feels maybe a bit more sophisticated than your typical pokemon experience which after all is kind of a direct descendant of dragon quest but with added systems and catching monsters and everything. If mm-hmm. anything, it's Dragon Quest monsters again, but with unique monsters. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I love Pokemon. Does a really good job with it. It's one of the first social games. Uh, consistently, it, in its own way, it is quite innovative. But I think Pokemon Legends Arceus is a different flavor that the series has been needing for a while. And also, I think that it has an outside chance at being my favorite game this year i'm actually really looking forward goodness to yeah i mean i'm looking forward to it too but i'm tempering my expectations just a little bit because but I mean, starfield's I think that... also coming out so oh yeah so yeah. This, that's your game of the year cat come on let's be realistic here no exactly yeah all right let's continue on to our next topic this one is based on a rpg adjacent conversation that was happening around the game dying light 2 okay so the developer of dying light 2 comes out and says did you know that there are like 500 hours in this game and people were like what 500 hours that is absurd who in who in the universe wants a 500 hour game and they're like uh backtracking it's actually more like 80 500 is just if you do literally everything (laughs) and then they clarified and then they clarified again and they were like uh, actually, it's closer to 30, 20 to 30, and that uh, kind of thing. We made it all up, guys. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, it was very much a studio being like, you want game content? We got game content. Everyone saying like, no, we don't want long games. Please stop. No, <laughs> Please stop. why would you do this? And then Techland being like, oh, uh, actually, we don't have that much content well we do but it's it's really only if you go looking for it and so this thing that they had already kind of artificially inflated to sound cool they now had to like deflate and shove all the air out of to be like never mind no you can beat this game in 20 hours we promise it's not going to be that long we just admitted that he had a ton of filler i guess well my question is is there a right length for RPGs. We've often said, for example, that Chrono Trigger is just this wonderful tight 15 hours. It's scrumptious, right? But it packs so much into those 15 hours. Do we do we just want 20 20 to 30 hour RPGs and that's what we want? That's it? I don't know. No. I I appreciate 20 hour RPGs for what they are, but there I just feel like on a game to game basis there comes a point where I say, "Okay, I am done with this." And if the game wraps up within that, you know, a couple hours after that, hey, great, good job. If I feel like, oh, I desperately wanted more of this, 
it's always better to, to like, you know, want more than to have too much. But there are some times where I feel like this is a little bit too short. This really could have used one more chapter or whatever. So it, I can't put a real hour count on anything. It's got to justify the hours that it has. Like, yeah. I, I, I think there's a point with a lot of RPGs. I think back to Tales of Arise from last year, where if that game had just not had the last dungeon in it i probably would have thought it was the perfect length and then they had the last dungeon in it and i was like this game is way too long because <laughs> that last dungeon was like an extra 15 hours i love uh, those kinds of dungeons i'm such a sap for them yeah and it's uh i mean they're they're interesting until you're on a review crunch to, oh, <laughs> to beat that's them true. and then yes. you're you're awake at four in the morning <laughs> trying to beat this dungeon uh but yeah, I, I think of a lot of RPGs I've liked over the years, you know, shorter games to, to longer games. And the ones that really stand out to me are always the ones that feel like they justify their time. I, one that immediately comes to mind, and this is not necessarily an RPG, but a series. Uh, every SteamWorld game I felt has yes. been really well paced. They yes. like that is a studio that I think understands the pace of a game really, really well. Every SteamWorld game I've played through and granted, I haven't beat all of them, but every time I play one, I'm like, they they know how much time they want to keep you for, and they make sure that all of that time is going to feel rewarded and good, and then you move on. Uh, yeah. And it's I think it's more of a problem, and, and maybe this is why we see more indie games being conscious of this, is because an indie game knows that it already has to get your attention, and it can't get your attention, and then suddenly go like, oh, we, we've got 90 hours of content for you. Right. Uh, it, you have other games, a lot of service games competing for mindshare. And so an indie game knows it has to get in, show you the best and and wrap it up in a decent amount of time for it to leave that impression on you. So I'd love to see games like Dying Light 2, which I previewed uh, last year. And even while I was playing the preview, I was noticing, wow, there are a lot of pips on the screen right now for side quests <laughs> and uh, different timed side quests and stuff like that, uh, depending on what time of day it was and all that. And I, I was just sitting there thinking at the time, you know, this is an interesting game, but is it a game that I'm going to want to sit down and like have the time to play through? I'm looking at February right now and going, which of these massive games between Elden Ring, Horizon Forbidden West, uh, even stuff like Monarch, what am I going to have the time to actually get through? <laughs> and so something yeah. like Sifu, which Sifu is looking like it's going to be a shorter end of the spectrum game is a lot more appealing to me because I know I can sit down with it and beat it in a reasonable amount of time. But uh, it's got to earn those hours. I think that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah, Eric, I think that's kind of the key, right? Is that a mm. lot of these games want to be the last game you ever play right <laughs> they absolutely yes. do yeah. yeah like dying light 2 wants to be the game that you put 500 hours into and you play for the mm -hmm. rest of the year the be all and end all game and that's a lot to ask in this day and age a world in which there's so many streaming options and entertainment all the time constantly forever never stopping never ending so yeah, like I don't I think it's too much to ask for a game to be the sole focus of anybody um, in this day yeah. and age. <laughs> Having said that, I've had plenty of games that I've played for a couple months or more and put hundreds of hours into. Stardew Valley comes to mind immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons. 
And I, I think last year I put uh, more than 100 hours into Bravely Default too. So it's not as if I can't, I can't enjoy a game that's multiple hundreds of hours. It's just, right. as you said, it really has to earn that. And the way you earn that is by, and I'm going to take a shot at <laughs> Final Fantasy XIV now, is not having <laughs> fetch quests and filler stuff, right? Ga- content that exists solely to try and fill in space. I don't, I, it's just a waste of time. As soon as I see that, I start, my eyes start to glaze over. It's not meditative. It's not fun. And I'm sorry to our old pal, Mike Williams, who disagrees with me on this point. It's bad. It's bad. And I never want to play it. I'm never going to be able to try and justify it. First off, let me tell you that the critically acclaimed A Realm Reborn <laughs> update to Final Fantasy XIV smoothed over many of those problems. I tried Still playing it up, last though. year and uh, just I I was only kind of half paying attention. My eyes were really glazing over by a certain point in I, Realm Reborn. There, there's a point there's a point in that story where I do think it it does pick up and and it's when you start to see that, oh, they're going to do something that is outside the realm of it and it's like right after the garuda fight i think is when it happens but that was the point where i was like oh i'm suddenly very invested in the story uh and even then a lot of people will say that it's the post realm reborn stuff that really does hit um to each their own but to mike williams point you can do a fetch quest and have it be good let me tell you about the good word of Death Stranding. Hideo oh Kojima's magnum opus. <laughs> no. Oh, no. It's, no. it's a beautiful game. It's so well done because it takes the idea of something that is a fetch quest that is so menial and, and just turns it into what if the fetch quest was the interesting part? What if suddenly navigation and traversal is so much more important? That's how you make those hours count is you focus in on the mechanics and find ways to make them interesting. And when I play something like say Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I was playing that when the PS5 came out and sure it was like content that was beaming into my brain and it was above average content. Like they, they make a quality video game, you know, they pass the bar, but it's, I just found myself running from point to point to point and just kind of like, okay, next one. Okay. Next one. Okay. Next one. And like, even the act of traversal of moving across the environment started to feel like empty wasted time. Whereas at least in death stranding, they said, what if getting point a to B was the interesting part? What if you have to think about how you're going to get over that mountain and not just go like, Oh, I'll just fast travel there. It's all good. Like that's, I, you got to earn hours when you have this many hours. I think Death Stranding does something like that. Whereas I think Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, insert any other Ubisoft style open world game doesn't. And first of all, Ryan, that's... first of all, Eric, I don't know why I called you Ryan. First of all, Eric, <laughs> <Not a> Ryan. <laughs> if you cite Death Stranding, you've already lost. <laughs> that, that was a, that was a, that was a middling game at best. A middling game. I, mm. We can go back to the tapes on this, cat. We can go back to the tapes because you and I were playing this at the exact same time. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. And yeah. as you, I seem to recall giving it a three out of five. Did I you? I thought you gave it higher than that. I no, thought so no. too. Yeah, I was actually pretty low on it, ultimately. Maybe 3.5, but mm, I, mm. I was not that high on Death Stranding. And a lot of it was because I, I, I guess the traversal was somewhat interesting, but... And I get that it was trying to make this grand point 
about putting you in the shoes of the main character, Norman Reedus. And yes, the main character is Norman Reedus. Mm-hmm. It's and Norman Reedus. Yeah. Doing <laughs> yes. the, and doing the work, right? In terms mm-hmm. of getting from point A to point B. But first of all, it was exhausting in many ways. And not in a way that I would find particularly, I'm looking for a certain word, nourishing, interesting. It was at the end of the day, just a grind. And you can make that point a handful of times, maybe a couple times, but an entire it does not support an entire game. And Mm-mm. that was the case with Death Stranding. It was almost like an interesting tech demo. I, I think I could have played it for a couple of missions and been like, wow, that's really neat. That was really interesting. But an entire game? Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. The, the traversal in that game is more interesting than 99% of any other games where you are moving from point A to point B. Like they, they put thought into that. And yes, it is the focus of the game. That is what you are doing. But the way it uses that, as well as using Metal Gear Solid 5's excellent system for just emergent gameplay things happening, like being able to have all this interesting stuff happen around you, the way that ladders can be so versatile. I have never thought of a ladder as such a, like, good tool until i played death stranding but now if i ever have <laughs> to traverse awesome. the wastes ladders are the best i love ladders uh it's i, I it, it's where you look at a mountain and you're not thinking oh i can climb that you think how am i going to climb that what am i going to do to do that and you're not just gonna skyrim you know ibex horse, your way up, your horse there. up there yeah 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 is what it was yeah and and that's a really rewarding feeling because now when you get to the top of that mountain you've worked to get there and did the story in death stranding completely suck yes it absolutely sucked it was so bad (laughs) but the trade-off like the reward is when you complete that snow mountain area and you've constructed this beautiful zipline network that can take you anywhere across the freaking alps like you are going across the the mountains of Colorado on zip lines and you get to just say I did this I built this 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 is something I made and it was rewarding yeah. and now now my traversal is as easy as it was in the other games but I put in the time to get it there it's like building right. a house in Minecraft or Dragon Quest Builders another wonderful that's, game that's, that earns game every ever. hour <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's a game that earns every hour. Eric, I promised to bounce off Death Stranding in a hot second, but hot take. I actually kind of like the story of Death Stranding. I like I the, the bond between <laughs> Norman Reedus and the Jar Baby and how all of that came together. And I like uh, Mads Mikkelsen as, uh, okay, you know, war Mads guy. Mads Mikkelsen is good. Mads Mikkelsen is great in this game. Always good. Yeah. And... Uh, it was an original story. It was certainly, and it had points to make about the coming climate apocalypse and lots of other things that we can look Kojima forward to. predicted COVID. We've been there. Yes, Kojima <laughs> yes, predicted COVID. Yes, really scary. Yeah, I, I was invested in the setting in a way that I'm not the invested setting, yes. in like 90% of games out there. But then every time a woman enters the screen, you're just like, oh, God, oh, fuck, <laughs> yeah. what's it going to be do death? now? Princess like, Beach. It was, well, Princess Beach was at least funny, but they had the weird stuff with Mama and the ghost baby and just yeah. weird. And like your your mother, who's also your sister, and Norman Reedus has like a really weird relationship with her, too. It's There's a lot of weirdness. And in don't that forget... Game. Um, 
the character who has to walk through the acid rain while she's basically oh, naked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kojima was like, you know what? We didn't we didn't do enough with the quiet scene in MGS five, so let's just really bump this so up. Does she breathe through her skin? But she has to walk through acid to breathe. I'm now ashamed of my words and deeds. Yeah, yeah. You are ashamed of your words and deeds now. <laughs> I think uh. that a good part of a really long game can be that it grounds you in the world in a way mm-hmm. that a shorter yeah. experience yes. cannot. Chrono Trigger tells a wonderful story and has a great setting that I really enjoyed. But a game like Dragon Quest XI-S, which is very long, or Persona 5, or The Witcher 3, their setting feels mm-hmm. lived in. I feel like I am part of that world. And a lot of that is having to do with the sheer length of the game. And that's why I think so many RPGs are so long, right? Yeah, to build on your point there, Kat, one thing I actually have a weakness for, and some people might regard it as padding, is when you start with the light version of the world you're in, and then something goes wrong, and you have the dark version, which is very much the case in Dragon Quest uh, Eleven, which I guess isn't a spoiler because it's right there on the cover of the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's with uh, Final Fantasy VI is a great example, although that game takes pains to really make the uh, world of ruin separate from the world of balance. And uh, frankly, one of my favorite versions of it is uh, not just Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, but also A Link Between Worlds, where they really, really built upon that dark world theme and made it, like, really integrated it well into the light world. So I don't mind when a game pads itself out that way. I think it can be done really, really well. I was going to say that all I know is that when Starfield comes out, I'm going to put like 120 hours into that game and probably really enjoy it, just like I did Fallout 4. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you probably start building uh, stuff out of uh, scrap on the floor. There you go, I have made Cat down. I'm flying in my spaceship. I think I agree with your point about a long game gives you a lot of time to get used to a world, much like critically acclaimed Realm Reborn, Final Fantasy XIV, gives you time to get used (laughs) to the construction of the world before it starts to deal with the larger politics, but I won't get too far into that. I want to point out something that is a short game that I do think does world building well, and I did not want to have to blow this one in this segment because we're going to be talking about it later, but Undertale, I think, does an incredible job of building a believable, endearing world in a very, very short runtime, and... I think a lot of that also comes down to, again, how do you use your hours, right? Undertale is a very short game, but every new area you walk into has new music, new characters. Uh, It it builds on these ideas over time. It brings characters back in interesting ways to kind of inform the journey as you go along. You have characters like Sans, who Sans is basically like the narrator to the audience of of Mm. the theater play, right? Like he's, he's constantly commenting on your journey as you go along. And you also use interesting use of perspective shifts and the introduction of different themes and and even just ideas of elevation and moving up and down and moving across distances as a way to convey both scale and, and like the way that these characters live. You know, here is this nice Snowden town where everyone is having a pleasant time, enjoying themselves. You can really see that the monsters are living in, in a cave, but they're living, whereas you get to the parts of the core and things like that. And you see, no, it is like still suffering down here. You get to the lab and you're like, oh no, there's like bad things here. That was terrifying actually. And I can bring up all those areas and they like immediately come to mind to anyone who's played Undertale because they can remember those specific parts. Like no Mm -hmm. one forgets the part where you're in Toriel's house 
the first time and you look in the mirror and then when you go back to the other house and you look in the mirror again and it just hits you right there and that's place that's place and world building Mm -hmm. working and i think that again it, it really is just about how do you use your hours and what is filler versus what is important Hey, now I tried right. to be vague. I tried to be vague. <laughs> <laughs> There's another no, actually, place with the mirror. That's all I said. <laughs> now, Undertale is actually a really great example of a game that's perfectly uh, timed in terms of its length. Like, it is short, but it's not the kind of short that makes you say, oh, okay, I really wish there was more of that. It's just what it needs to be. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Done. And on that note, an untitled Eric segment approaches. Command. <laughs> Oh, boy. That's my music? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going um, to ask you to, to, to pick something. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll think of something. Eric, That's fine right music. now, though. Uh, I, I like I like near music. I don't know. Can I get, like, just the Become as Gods beat? Can I just get that <laughs> as we go in? Like, that's... <laughs> hey, send me some music, and you can totally choose whatever the heck you want. Mm-hmm. Or like the music when you open the galaxy map in Mass Effect. That's mm-hmm. mm, that might be my choice. I'm gonna I'm gonna drag y'all kicking and screaming in the world of esports real quick. No, uh, <laughs> please don't. So just recently, Valve announced that they are canceling the upcoming Dota 2 Winter Major, uh, and I think this is relevant because not only is this about the like the effects of the pandemic that we've dealt with, but I think it highlights similar issues in the esports space to stuff that we are dealing with in the gaming space. Uh, so Valve came out and announced that the Dota 2 Winter Major has been called off due to the, you know, spread of the Omicron virus. And pretty fair thing to call, right? Mm-hmm. Bad yeah. time to have an in-person Dota tournament right now. Absolutely. Not good. The What they ended up deciding to do, and I'm still baffled by this, was to just not have in-person, have the points kind of get distributed out to other tournaments in the year. And I don't think they've said anything about the prize money that was supposed to be part of this. <laughs> Yoink. Several Bye. things you should know about the Dota circuit. Um, and I really, to, the number I want to point out that this segment is very long. And oh my God, our Patreon is dropping as we speak. What the heck is going on? <laughs> well, the number one thing is that everybody knows the international, right? It's the Dota yes. 2 tournament that you see the headlines yeah. about every year multi million dollar esports tournament. The thing that you don't really see a lot about is that that is the tournament. That's all in Dota 2 that there really is. There are other things that happen and tournaments that build up to it. But when you talk about Dota 2, you're talking about one tournament a year where a lot of teams make or break it. And that works really well for the teams that make it. And it works not great for the teams that break it. And Mm. it's already a very top heavy distribution in the Dota scene where a lot of teams are depending on income from smaller tournaments just to stay afloat. Right. The Dota circuit, as it's laid out, we would probably be familiar with this kind of construction, is that you have a regular season, like kind of a a period of weeks where you play regular games, and then the standings are determined from that. You have relegations and stuff like that, and then the top teams compete in the majors, and the majors are what earn you points for the international. So if you want a slot in the international, if you don't want to have to compete in the wild cards or, or the open qualifiers to get into the international, that's what you have to do. You have to win in these. So now teams that have already theoretically won points are kind of left out. And teams that 
have had their first chance to get into a major have worked really hard, like put work on the line, put studying on the line, basically gone full in on being a Dota team are just being hung out to dry with zero communication. There were players and teams out there saying that they didn't hear about this until the website posted it. And there's a quote here from boom Dota. Who's uh, one of the players that had made it into the major. This was first qualification of the major he tweeted i think that when i'm on my deathbed looking back at my life the decision to commit my entire youth to trying to become a dota 2 pro will be the worst one i've made oof and, oh ow. that's yeah. dark oh my god very dark and so the follow-up to this and why i wanted to bring it up and bring it back around because this does come back around to gaming i promise uh sue Mail, a player who won ti5 with uh, Evil Geniuses back in 2015 now plays on Team Secret, uh, well-known Dota prodigy. If all posted on Twitter, if all the teams decide to just not compete in season two, at least we will have some sort of stable system, either better communication or maybe Dota just dies completely. Either way is better than the current state of things. And there's already been talk about maybe a players union is something that needs to be looked into. Like there are a lot of players saying this is this is not the first instance of Valve not treating the Dota scene right. There are right. a lot of people saying that we have the labor. We are the labor. We are the thing that makes this tournament scene operate. And we need to look at what serious responses look like. And you can tell that talk like that was working because Valve has already issued a response apologizing <laughs> for lack of communication and saying we're working on a plan to see if we can get everyone together in one location and play out the tournament on a land, which I don't think is the answer. I think a lot of personalities have put forth ideas of doing online ones so they don't risk Omicron stuff, but doing like Southeast Asia and China play uh, North America, South America play mm-hmm. Europe and and kind of that area play against each other. So that way they can have kind of decent comparable ping and still get points and still get prize money, which teams need to buy food, <laughs> but, yeah. food and rent. Uh, yes, it, it all comes back around to this idea that especially in the pandemic times, like labor is becoming a very important thing. Like people are both realizing their worth in labor and we're seeing this with the activision blizzard the walkout that was happening at raven uh that people who are being treated unfairly are are getting sick of it and so my support's with these dota 2 players and i hope they make some changes for the better uh but it it's a big story in the esports space right now and uh just wanted to broaden y'all's horizons a little bit about something happening so funny a little bit outside the gaming space in the enthusiast hobbyist press esports never even feature right so yeah. it feels like all of this mm-hmm. is happening in a giant bubble over it here, does right it, it is until it breaks out when someone declares i am esports be gone peons or whatever <laughs> god uh but the guy it's... who is just like i hate women like he just comes straight out and if... saying that yeah if, if you've been a longtime esports follower, you are very familiar with that person and why they should not be listened to at like any point in time. They seem like a lovely bloke. Yes. Oh, dear. But it, it is, you know, I think labor has been on the forefront of a lot of gaming people's minds recently. It's uh, been on everybody's it, mind in many yeah. ways. Yeah. Yeah. The, all, the, all the people in their 20s are realizing how much they've been screwed. So they're mm-hmm. talking about organizing and mm-hmm. that just is naturally kind of seeping into the video game 
discourse. It's people Sorry. realizing that it's just not worth dying for McDonald's and you can replace McDonald's mm-hmm. with any organization, any corporation that wants profit more than anything else. So that's why you need to kind of have the workers push back and say, hey, you know what? Uh, you're not making any money without us, dude. Yeah, I think it's in uh, Scandinavia. There are actually workers who are making like actually pretty decent money working at uh, fast food. And guess what? Society isn't falling apart. Yeah, All right. it, it happens. Eric's untitled unionization segment is over. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Eric. And now it is time for the Top 25 RPG Remake 2022 Integrate, the segment in which we nominate four RPGs that should be going on the Top 25 RPG of all time list. We have a very lively channel right now over in the Discord with a very long list of nominees from our individual listeners. Thank you so much for that. And lots of discussion happening on the Discord as well. And... The community gets to make a pick each week, and then the three of us also get to make a pick. So we're going to start with you, Eric. What is your pick for the Top 25 RPG Countdown nomination list this week? I got to say, looking at the notes, I'm surprised. For a hot second, I thought this game was already on the list. I I was I was there with you. I went looking through the list even (laughs) as we were podcasting. If y'all noticed me looking at my phone a few times, that was me looking down and being like, no, this has to be on the list. Right. But given the time when the list was published, I it would have been 20. Well, it would have been 2018, wouldn't it have been? So this would have been surprised at myself because I am a huge Undertale fan. I'm trying to tell how that even 2015. Mm -hmm. This list was like 2018. And I'm even checking it again right now to look and I am looking at the list and I don't the only you I see on here is Ultima seven. So, yeah, Undertale is my nomination. I literally cannot believe that this game is not in the top 25. I think it's a game that 100 percent deserves to be on the top 25. It would maybe be the one I stand for the hardest out of any RPG that is not on here Uh, for so many reasons. I think this game is incredibly important in terms of indie RPGs and what it did for the indie RPG scene. I think it is honestly one of the best games I've ever played, period. It might be my favorite game of all time. Really? Uh, because Your favorite yeah, game of all time? Legitimately, when I make my list of games, every time somebody asks me like, oh, what's your favorite game ever? Like Undertale is always in the top. Fun fact, it's the only game I've ever given a top score, top marks, whatever. The only one. Uh, it's it believable. Is, like, it probably deserves it. Yeah. yeah. It is a perfect blend of, I mean, music, visuals, gameplay, just everything working in harmony for something greater and creating some sort of like, like the construction, the meta construction of this game is so incredible too. the, the different routes are amazing. And even just how different the no mercy route can be from the passive uh, or or the the neutral routes, even the way the game recognizes the things that you've done, which a lot of games do nowadays. It is very popular to have the kind of Doki Doki Literature Club, you know, looking into your files, uh, inscription, Pony Island, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's but been hugely influential for sure. Undertale mm-hmm. has has done it so well, and and Brian, I'm glad you you brought this up in the chat. So. The thing about Undertale is also that it is maybe the most overhyped game ever made. <laughs> and I I completely understand that. 
Uh, it is its fan base is a little bit much, especially back when it was new. Its fan base is rabid. And you think about like you go. I, I, I'm serious. I encourage you. So there's a great video by Super Patch Wolf that goes into some of this and the fandom around Undertale. But the the view counts like the attachment to just watching things about Undertale or engaging with the fandom of Undertale is a completely separate thing, even from the game itself. And I do think you have to factor some of that into the perception of what the game is like. But when I think about Undertale, it's not necessarily that it's some life changing experience or, or something like that. I just think of how I can hear every single song in my head as I think back through that game. I can think of all the little moments that work so well. I can think of all the clever little bits of writing that just had me chuckling. It is hard to make me laugh while playing a game and and not laugh like, oh, haha, I'm doing something funny in Untitled Goose Game or whatever. I mean, like I read something that somebody wrote in a video game and I laugh. Mm-hmm. That is a difficult thing to pull off in video games, in my opinion, and Undertale nails it. And I, I think... It builds a story that is compelling, that is sweet. Like I said, it does not overstay its welcome. It is very well paced. And I think the way that it just builds itself together, it is the most everything is working in unison to deliver the Undertale package so well. Uh, And it's all just I mean, it also just has a look, a look that's so memorable that now so many other games are literally just trying to do it. Sure, it's got like some Earthbound and other things in there, but I mean, there is an aesthetic that is a distinctly Undertale aesthetic, and I think yeah. that often gets overlooked as well. Uh, it's just a wonderful game. It's a really wonderful game. It's one that I'd recommend to literally anybody, and I think they would have a nice, good time with it, and I think it's got to be in the top 25. I, I can't see a top 25 without it. Yeah, I, I actually agree with Eric, and I'm really kind of almost ashamed that we don't have it there because I agree with everything you said about Undertale, its pacing, its graphics, its music. In fact, I would go as far as to say that it's kind of the victim of its own success because I could not get into Deltarune. I just... Mm. Mm -hmm. And here's the reason why. I explained this a little bit on Twitter. You take a game like Majora's Mask, which takes Ocarina of Time and, of course, makes it Majora's Mask. And that is a game that took the NPCs of Ocarina of Time who had practically no dialogue to them and made them into actual characters. And that was fascinating. That was really fun to, to, to follow. With Undertale... You, you have all these characters whom I love and I, and I remember how I met them, like the, the battle with Undyne and, and her chasing mm. you and, and oh, so just like realizing who Sens is and just, mm-hmm. and, you know, just kind of uncovering that. Then it's like, well, here they are in Deltarune again and mm-hmm. they're different. Yeah, but I don't want another Undyne. I don't want another, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, who's the, the nerd lizard girl? I forget her name. I'll talk my head. Oh, Alphys. Alphys. I don't want another Alphys. I don't want that. I I met these characters. I love them. We closed the book on them. I just, mm-hmm. I, I just kind of had them in the back of my mind the whole time I was trying to play Delta Rune. It just, just didn't work out for me. And I feel a little bit bad about that, but it's just, you know, the yeah. way it went. I think that's why the strongest thing that Delta Rune has done for me so far was the Snowgrave route of Chapter Two, which is like yeah, the No Mercy I, I route of that. Chapter Two. That's and dark. Yeah, it's dark, and it's it focuses on new characters in a way that's really interesting, and also. Again, you talk about Undertale, like really uses the idea of you being a singular character and the decisions you make. Now, the party is an interesting thing, and it's kind of a cool twist that you're not the person necessarily making decisions about what to do in the No Mercy route, but you are like pressing someone else to do it somewhat against yeah. their will. They don't want to be a bad person, but you're telling them, no, you should do this. It's okay. It's all a dream. Don't worry about it. It's a dark route. It's yeah, really messed yeah. up. 
And I think that was the first point where I was like, okay, at least there's an attempt to do something different here and maybe try to interrogate, you know, what does, that's the question you got to ask, right? Is like undertale is such a huge thing. What is undertale after undertale? And yeah. I don't know what that is. And I don't want this segment to go on too long because we've got other games to talk about, but clearly the fact that we have so much to talk about, it speaks to what undertale is in yeah, RPGs. Absolutely. Well, Nadia, you have another Shimigami Tensei game to add to the list of nominees. Yes, I do. And this will probably be a lot shorter than Eric's segment because um, <laughs> the only way... Most segments are. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of threw Shin Megami Tensei Five in there almost as a kind of a gimme, a lark. Uh, well, this will never happen, but I feel like I have to say it because I did enjoy Nocturne. And of course, I think it deserves to be in the Pantheon for every single reason that we listed. But we also listed a lot of problems with Nocturne, like the way it plays. And playing it now, I did feel like it was a little bit too slow, a little bit too cumbersome. Uh, I think Shin Megami Tensei Five takes what Nocturne did and really streamlines it. Really streamlines it, makes it a really fascinating world. I find the kind of destroyed Tokyo a really grim but mm-hmm. engaging world with fantastic sound direction, great music. Uh, story is okay. With Shin Megami Tensei stories are always a little bit like, okay, well, I'm God or the devil, whatever. The world sucks. It's not. It's not exactly Persona, but that's fine. And it really, really takes a lot of the um, the hassle out of playing a Shin Megami Tensei game. Like, even something as simple as the fast travel. I know we just talked about how fast travel kind of ruins the experience in some ways, but it's just so great to have in Shin Megami Tensei. I like the fact that you can dash around worlds like a madman, and you can see the enemies on the screen. Thank you, God. You can have fairies kind of accompany you and find hidden stuff. It's just a... I had a really good time with that game. It was, and, and you it's like, like it better more, than Nocturne. I think so. It's a much more... Uh, a beginner friendly game than Nocturne, which is probably controversial, but I, I don't know. I would say like if you were starting the, the Shin Megami uh, series, I'd say start here. I say start with five or maybe um, yeah, I, Strange I would Journey say that's, Redo. I think that's pretty reasonable. If it's like if there's yeah. one that you're going to pick up for the first time, maybe SMT five is a lot more approachable than SMT three, even though Nocturne is yeah. now available as uh, in a remaster. Yeah, but even the remaster I found to be a little bit clumsy. I do think that nocturne's world is more compelling to me and also the way that it starts uh the kind of grim almost uh what am i what's the word that i'm looking for um i don't know occult when you're first it in is that very hospital. yeah mm-hmm. and that is creepy how your friends uh become evil in their own way and yeah. burn on mm. you and the darkness of the endings and that kind of thing. I found the world in SMT3 to be more compelling than what mm. I was seeing in, in uh, SMT5. Now, granted, I did not finish SMT5. I didn't get that far ultimately because I kind of bounced off it. But I mean, the fact that you loved it so much makes me think that I need to get back into it, Nadia. Yeah, you should give it. You go to other biomes for sure, and things do change up a bit. But also, I'm a sucker for the drifting classroom, and that's what the first area (laughs) reminds me of. Well, my pick, so as long as we're talking about games that kind of define the latter half of the 2010s, Stardew Valley is my pick for the top 25 RPG list. But Kat... That's not an RPG, you say. <laughs> and I say, yes it, yes, it is, because <laughs> the farming simulation aspect is only one small part. This is a game about building relationships. This is a game about dungeon crawling. This is a game about living in the world. It is absolutely an RPG. 
for these purposes. It is very much in the grand tradition of RPGs, and I'm happy to put it in consideration for this list. I mean, even just the art is so clearly mm -hmm. drawn from the tradition of Japanese RPGs. And let me say, that art is amazing. I've put hundreds of hours into this game. There's, you want to talk about good content? This game has amazing content, including that massive update that came out last year with yeah. a whole new island to explore and mm -hmm. everything. I've created my kind of own stories that have come out of it where I dated uh, Abigail and then I was like, oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe I married too young and I got into a relationship with uh, another girl, the, the girl who lives in the South, who's the artisan. I can never remember her name. Oh, mm. shoot. I can't remember. I know who you're talking about. I can't remember her name. Yeah. And I feel like there's so much to find at any given time. And there's a story, certainly much more so than in Harvest Moon with how it's handling Jojo Mart and everything like that. It feels like this lived in place and I mm -hmm. really enjoy it. And Stardew Valley is absolutely one of my favorite games to come out over the past few years. It helped define the Switch in many ways. And it combined, in my opinion, the best of Harvest Moon and Rune Factory into the definitive kind of simulation RPG whatever experience mm -hmm. so that's my nominee for the top 25 rpgs of all time that's a good nominee i agree with that one it's uh harvest it took harvest moon even friends of mineral town which is probably the best one in my opinion and really just made it a, a kind of a very rpg-ish world because you can explore so much you can do so much more than just dig in the dirt so yeah i agree with that i agree with that pick very much eric are you a stardew valley fan i i am a fan it has been traditionally difficult for me to get into stardew at different points because i feel like i have to really dive into it head first and then i just disappear for a while and then and then i come back yeah. and honestly this might be a little bit heretical but i think as a game the rune factory series does a little bit more of what i like but that might just be because i want action rpg with farming elements and I, I thought Stardew was more of a farming game with, uh, like, I don't know, an action RPG bolted onto the side of it. <laughs> we we got this in there, uh, but I do really, really respect what Stardew is. I think it is absolutely one of the most influential games of the last ten years. Uh, I think the impact it made is huge, and on that alone, it's worth consideration. So, and finally, here's our community pick. And our community pick for this week is Super Mario RPG. This one was nominated by three people in the chat. The first was by the Mike Staub, who said, it's an unholy and lovely crossover of platforming and RPG with an emphasis on music and rhythm. Very few RPGs have this much bounce to them. It was so brilliant hey. to see the Mario world expanded upon as we could adventure outside of the Mushroom Kingdom meeting some of the most wonderful characters around. It's one part Final Fantasy with all the charm of a classic Nintendo game. It's quick and fun, but has an unbelievable amount of heart. This is before we get to talk about characters like Gino, Mallow, and Booster. The OST is some of Shimamura's best and is so integral mm. to the gameplay. You need to feel those timed hits as they bounce along to the music. And Verona Cat also nominated it saying... Obviously, Super Mario RPG is remembered fondly by many people, but I think it's easy to lose track of just how clever it is. 
While many franchises have RPG spin-offs these days, they were not a common thing when Mario RPG was released, and it's practically miraculous how well it manages to feel like Mario while also being a full-fledged RPG. The use of essentially proto-QTEs during battle helped it feel more fast-paced and energetic than most other RPGs of its time, and the writing is absolutely amazing. There's a reason that people are still asking when Gino is going to come back. Also, <laughs> Mario's... <not>. <laughs> Also, Mario's mute pantomimes featuring and morphing into other characters have never gotten old for me. So Mario RPG is going on to the list of official nominees. Gino's dead. Gino's dead. Gino's dead. Gino died on his way back to his home planet. If I ever get into some graffiti and I ever get a can of spray paint and an evil intent, I'm going to spray paint Gino is dead on some like store and just confuse the world except for like sad millennials. Just that's the sign you need to bring if you ever go to like AEW or something. Yeah, that's the, that's sign the new you one. Gino's dead. Gino's dead. <laughs> I actually like Gino. I had a crush on him when I was a kid. I don't know why. You had a crush on Gino? I had a crush on Gino. I don't the think puppets? I was the only one either. Okay. The puppet for some reason. Okay. I, w- I was like 15. I don't know what to do with myself at that age. <laughs> Naughty, do you like boys or girls? I like puppets. Look, I just I have a thing for this weird puppet creature. What do you want? <laughs> I think I killed Eric. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> and Eric's dead. We're going to go to the AEW and hold up a big sign that says Eric is dead. Eric's dead. <laughs> sign it. Sign it, AEW, that just says, I was 15 and didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> the picture of Gino. Oh, my God. And hey, if you're in the Stars of Destiny tier, you can watch Eric completely lose it right now. In real time. Yeah. In real time. It's- Worth 25 bucks and more. I buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much to everybody for nominating their games. We've got lots more to go over the next few months than our current nominees. Disco Elysium, Shimagami Tensei 3, Nocturne, The Elder Scrolls, Skyrim, and Valkyrie Profile. That was from last week. And to that list, we now add Shimagami Tensei 5, Stardew Valley, Undertale, and Super Mario RPG. And now it's time for Nadia's Nostalgia Nook. All right, so we are going to get to talk about. Okay, okay. I'm old. How many of you grew up with, or or Cat and Eric? Did you grow up with Square One, the show? What is Square One? Oh my God. Okay, so I'm really am old. It was a it was a show on. I guess it was aired on PBS. I don't remember where it was in Canada. Maybe TV Ontario. And it had this segment called Math Man. Now Math Man was styled after Pac Man. It was like a parody of Pac Man, and it was actually really clever. And I liked the idea of it because it was based on Pac Man. I loved video games at that time, even though I was like. I don't know, three or four. And the thing is, I have terrible, terrible math anxiety. Always have. I have dyscalculia. I, I have a lot of problems with numbers that I'm working on. But um, the point is, this is a this is a, a, a game show where Math Man walks around a board and he's asked uh. questions, math questions, by a, a talking tornado named Mr. What? Glitch. And so he has Mr. like a few Glitch. seconds. <laughs> he has a few seconds to answer these questions or he'll die. And 
this is a terrible, terrible thing that they developed for a child who has math anxiety. And I was so torn by this segment because, again, I loved watching stuff to do with video games, anything to do with video games. And here was a math person dying because by a tornado, which I also had to fear of tornadoes when I was that age, because they couldn't answer a math question in a few seconds. Who developed? Why did anyone think this was a good segment? And I'm still angry about it to this day. People talk about, <laughs> oh, square one. That was great. No, that was terrible. That was an awful, awful thing to make. I really want to find whoever's in charge of that idea and give them a talking to. Why is the frog wearing Captain Falcon's helmet? I don't know, Eric. I don't know anything except this fucking, uh, pardon me, this effing <laughs> thing scared the crap out of me. <laughs> so wait, was MathNet part of Square One? Because MathMan, yeah, it was basically a show of like segments, kind of how they did okay. it in those days with Sesame Street. Because we would show skits. MathNet, they would show MathNet in my class you know, when we were learning algebra or whatever. And I was always grateful when they would play MathNet because it meant that I didn't have to pay attention. No, it's not MathNet. It's MathMan. It's a segment. It's terrible. MathMan. MathMan. Yeah, like, he, he looks like a frog. Eric just looked him up. He said it looks like a frog wearing Captain Falcon's helmet. I I don't like this. This, no. Back <laughs> back into the pit from which he came. <laughs> now, Nadia's nostalgia pit. Nadia's nostalgia pit, like kids in the hall or something like that. <laughs> At what point does Nadia's segment become a threat? <laughs> oh, it's already a threat. We're way past that point. I mean, you should have all had radiation suits on last episode. I know. Oh, I mean, between the squirtle kids. named Ah. <laughs> squirtle named Ah. That was great. <laughs> See, that was just a classic moment in life. And I apologize to everybody in the chat because I'm I, there. a lot of them are complaining about repressed memories surfacing. So uh, pardon me. That's what Nadia's nostalgia pit does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Surfaces back, unwanted memories. Brings back memories. We didn't say they'd be good ones. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It doesn't say Nadia's good nostalgia nook now, does it? <laughs> <laughs> the, the segment title. The the notes in the segment are whoever designed Mathman from Square One TV show is Satan. That's it. <laughs> Those are the notes. We've got to change the lead in music for this segment to just be the the Lavender Town theme or something. (laughs) (laughs) The most cursed segment. Is he a Pokemon? Asked Dr. Horror. Uh, A really bad one. One of the ones that like eat kids. There are a few of those. Pokedex entry is just IDK eat kids. (laughs) Don't don't touch. (laughs) Don't lick it. All right. It is now time for the Random Encounters. All right, things that are happening this week in RPGs. First of all, game developers, or sorry, Games Done Quick. I was thinking of GDC. Games Done Quick, did you, <laughs> Did either of you watch it? Uh, did you all watch the Pokemon Crystal Randomizer? Uh, yeah, I watched some of the randomizer. Uh, I, I'm a little iffy on Pokemon runs just because I don't know those games so well, but the, the 13 run, I got to tell you, if you all like good rpg mechanics the the final fantasy 13 run was something else that was that was really fun to watch i'm gonna look that one up because no i haven't watched any of them yet but i usually go back and and kind of watch them on my own time naoki yoshida asks players in final fantasy 14 to not be so toxic he is so whole he's a beacon of wholesomeness he's like guys please just Mm -hmm. be nice to Mm -hmm. one another 
It's funny. We were just talking about how uh, what responsibility, if any, FromSoft has to talk to its toxic players. And here's mm-hmm. Yoshida saying, hey, everyone, just be cool. And I have to say, of course, the Final Fantasy XIV fan base is generally very cool. I still have really good runs with people and whatnot. But there's been, of course, an influx of players because uh, the free trial, the, the hype, wow, pissing everyone off. Those damn and free trial players. <laughs> those damn freebies get out of my town. But someone also pointed out that this is also directed towards the Japanese fan base because um, obviously the co- the development team probably isn't going to be reading too many comments in English. But there are, of course, toxic people talking about anytime a character gets changed, there's there's a war. So that always happens. So a lot of it's a lot of the discourse is revolving around, hey, be nice with the criticism of the game. Most people really love Endwalker, but of course, like I said, there's those mechanical changes that people aren't going to like no matter what. So that's the the gist of it. RIP to the Xbox One. Yes, the Xbox One S is officially dead. Microsoft isn't making any more of them, which is actually kind of surprising given that uh, Xbox Cloud ties in pretty well to the Xbox. Um, But I guess Microsoft wants people to keep buying the Xbox Series XS. In any case, I would recommend people listen to our console RPG quest with the Xbox One, which was a pretty good conversation, in my opinion. I'm surprised they're cutting this off so quickly. That's a uh, not very long. But that's Microsoft's, that's what they do. They put out a new console, and then the other one, the previous one, is just dead. They're like, here, yep, we're done, moving on. And like a Series X is hard to get a hold of, but yeah. I could walk into a Best Buy right now and buy a Series S if I wanted to. I don't think it's that hard to get hold of a next gen console. Like, I mean, if you just go on to your average retailer site and be like, oh, I'm going to, you're going to have a hard time. But if you, for example, follow Wario64 on Twitter, you're going to find out when consoles are in stock or via various shops. It's still hard. Like, I feel like I've had like, I feel like I've had 20 different opportunities to buy a next gen console at this point. Mm. Nah. Nah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's Xbox though, so it has great backward compatibility too. Yeah, That's the exactly. nice part is it's not like, you know, PS4, PS5 where you're not always sure or if like the thing you're getting is really just it can play those games. Like Xbox has really good backward compatibility and reasons for you to want to get a Series S that would make those games that you might have been playing on an Xbox 1 or an Xbox 360 even better. So, mm-hmm. Speaking of supply constraints, the PS5 shortages have apparently prompted Sony to just make more PS4s, so they're not abandoning the PS4 anytime soon. That is so weird and backwards because I feel like given how bad the backwards compatibility is with the PlayStations, that's a really crappy substitute because at least the Xbox One, as we said, has a lot of backwards compatibility. A PS4, you don't want a PS4, you want a PS5, they're completely different. Is there a more regrettable quote in the last like three years than we believe in generations? <laughs> because uh, boy, has has Sony had to walk that one back so far. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of when uh, Nintendo kept on delaying the N64 and meanwhile, Sony's eating up everything with the PlayStation and so, and so Nintendo ran these campaigns like, hey, cartridges are great. No, cartridges are amazing. Please don't go away. Please stick to cartridges. And it didn't really work out for them. Well, they had their last laugh because everything's a cartridge now, or at least in terms it of is. physical media. CDs went away. They're dead. Long dead. 
Thank God, honestly. CDs weren't very good. No, rest in piss. I hated them. <laughs> and finally, Bidiv's Big Stand is out. It's an eight-minute little segment with featuring Bidiv and their triumphant story after being bullied a whole lot. Uh, in the pre-show for this week's live recording, we actually watched together as a group while Nadia, Eric, and I provided commentary. and We had a really good time, didn't we? We did. That was cute. I like doing that. I love, yeah. I love Pokemon shorts. They make me happy. It's yeah. they're doing so many of these nice little shorts, and I I suppose it's all to do with you know Legends Arceus coming out and all that. But between this and the little stop motion animated Voltorb they did, and the weird found footage horror thing they did for Hisuian Zor Zororark or whatever that that Pokemon's Zorark, name yeah. is, Zororark, the Ark of Zoro. That's how you. Yeah, it's I I like that they're doing this stuff. I mean, I like in general when companies do this stuff because it is just nice to see this stuff. And and I think one thing that really stuck out to me about the Badoof thing was it was so fun and there wasn't any dialogue in it. It was just yeah. like pleasant and happy and and good times. And I you know I like that about Pokemon. Speaking as someone who doesn't play every single mainline Pokemon game, so all right. And now let's wrap up. With a mailbag, this one is from Count Zero Or, who says, with Final Fantasy XIV getting a cookbook before Final Fantasy XV, and the Elder Scrolls mm. getting a cookbook as well, what RPGs would you like to see get a cookbook? And I'll throw this one to Nadia, because she's the one who really enjoys food and RPGs. I would go with Odin Sphere. The I knew that you would Odin Sphere. Anything with George Kamatami's artwork and food, like, Perfect. Even um, 13 Sentinels has some really amazing looking food. Uh, I was going to so say the 13 Sentinels one is just a pamphlet about how to cook yakisoba pan. <laughs> it's just oh, that. It's amazing. Over just and day over after day. And it's, since it repeats, it's day after day of amazing looking food that makes you oh, just want it. Yakisoba pan angel. I, I found a shirt the other day that just says yakisoba pan in like the three <laughs> dialogue choices. And I was like, oh, I want this shirt so bad. <laughs> cookbooks i mean 15 is the obvious answer because it has such incredible looking food but i'd want something weird where it really stretched the chef to try and create foods that would fit so like right. fallout i want to know what they eat in fallout i can't remember the last time i saw someone rad actually roach. eat food yeah. yeah like try and make a rad roach steak using conventional foods that we have like let's really challenge a cook on something uh, I'll pass, but that would be a really fascinating idea. Just to have I didn't shelf. say it had to be tasty. I just said it had to be uh, interesting. Okay, okay. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> what about a Pokemon cookbook? Because there's that awkward a moment, I think, Pokemon. way back in the first season of the anime where they get they have hamburgers. Everybody's going, but what are those? Are they are they eating meal tanks? Are those actually <laughs> Pokemon? Do they eat meat in this universe? What's going on? So I want definitive answers is what I'm saying. I know Pokemon eat each other, but yeah. humans oh, and Pokemon. Oh God, yeah! Like it's all over the Pokedex. Like all they do is eat each other. It's kind of disturbing, actually. <laughs> the the subtitle, the subtitle of the Pokemon cookbook can just be to serve Pokemon. <laughs> to serve Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> to serve ten Pokemon. Sword and Shield had like those curries, and some of them oh, were like really yeah. weird, but some of them looked really good. I liked the curry mini game in that game. I liked it. It, it was delicious. I want curry right now. The correct answer, of course, is Suikoden too. Mm. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Which the Iron Chef tournament? 
Yeah, no, exactly. So it basically had a cooking game built in or a cookbook built in. So you should yeah. just have a cookbook from Suikoden too. I haven't had dinner and this is a terrible topic for us to talk about. Oh, yeah. We got another, what, 30 minutes to go because we also have to do the post show. Mm-hmm. The post show is I'm just going to be everyone. about us talking about what we're going to have for dinner. Yeah, me <laughs> cooking during the post show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that's it. For this episode of Acts of the Blood God, thank you so much for listening and to everybody for joining us during the live recording. If you enjoyed the show, which I hope you did, please go ahead and leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore Capod. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at CMoosey. If you want to join us for our live recordings, go check out patreon.com slash bloodgodpod for lots more information on how to go about that. We've got lots more planned for the rest of the month, including our Bloodborne Pantheon episode, which is happening in early February. Our post show is coming up right after this episode, and we'll be hanging out with all of you. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, for Nadia, Eric, myself, thanks for listening, and happy adventuring. Mouth man, mouth man, mouth man, mouth man, rectangle. Mouth man, mouth man, mouth man.